1: He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it!
2: Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a out giving him lip.
3: Oh, I
0: say! It's amazing!
3: He does it tame and tame and tame again.
4: The Premiership is dead, long live the Premier League. Why are Chesterfield staging a mock Europa League final in July? Partick Thistle's octuple substitutions. More Matt vs Matty meandering. Gabriel Jesus, Arsenal and the threshold for a transfer coup. Fulham go all Premier League years and thought we wouldn't find out about it. Hallowed turf updates. Hibernian using the best pen in the world to sign their contracts. How long do you have to be somewhere to ply your trade? Iconic but long-lost commentary gems, a deep dive into the birth of our obsession with inclement evening weather in North Staffordshire, and our weirdest montage yet. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 171 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for this one is Nick Miller first of all. Hi Nick. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. Um, Charlie's doing a tennis podcast at Wimbledon today. Nice to know where we sit in the pecking order of these things, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it just it tells you all you need to know about both him and the social hierarchy of tennis, doesn't it? He's, yeah.
4: he's,
2: <laughs> you get he gets a better, higher society offer, and it uh, just casts us aside, like um, like a cheap Robinson's bottle.
4: Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, he's already he's already sort of. Um, conforming to Wimbledon cliche. He's already done the had worse office views kind of tweet oh, from said to Not Lovely. verbatim, I have to say, but, um, but I've chosen to interpret it that way.
2: Does he, does he call it SW19 or does he...
3: Uh...
4: I don't think he would do that. Um, no. I, I'm concerned about his self-awareness at Wimbledon this year. I have to say, given everything that's happened over the last couple of years on this podcast, alongside you for this one, only the third outing for you two as a strike partnership, James Moore... <laughs> Hi, After Anna. episode 87, which was the Premier League players we remember for precisely one thing, 11. Who could forget? And, and uh, episode 140, of course. Of course, of course. One of Such classics. great memories. Yeah, one, one of your time yeah. greats. Yeah, you have at least got one adjudication panel under your belts. You know how this thing goes. I'm very glad to have you both. Good to freshen things up. <laughs> uh, alarm. Well, I don't know if this is alarming thing to bring you first off. Dale Johnson from ESPN tweets, The Premier League has now been known as the Premier League longer than it was ever known as the Premiership. I think a lot of people are going to be hearing that, doing a lot of mental calculations and not realising it was a close run thing, James.
1: uh, I don't know, that sounds about right to me. I mean, I, without wanting to go back to a previous episode, it, mm. it was always the Premier
4: League during the Barclays era, right? No, it was. That the not competition. Right? The Well, it's a, it's a tricky one. The organisation all have always been known as the Premier League. The competition itself um, has changed according to its sponsors. So, 92-93, no sponsor. So, it was just called the FA Premier League. From 1993 to 2001, it was called the FA Carling Premiership, which I think is the golden era of, of calling it the Premiership. In, na- in naming terms, yeah. Yeah. 2001-2004, which caused the ITV. The Premiership era, it was known as the FA Barclays Card Premiership. Three more years after that, the FA Barclays Premiership. Only in 2007 did it regain its Premier League name, the Barclays Premier League, 2007 to 2016. And then 2016 to present, no sponsor, simply the Premier League. Um, so, James, I mean, this is a crucial moment in the discourse for people who still call it the premiership the tipping point yeah mm. I, I don't really consider that there isn't a sponsor for the Premier
1: League so there's obviously a slot open they must be desperate for someone to we should this podcast should sponsor the Premier League
4: wait <laughs> sort of echo share levels of ambition there fantastic <laughs> you've um, got to be ambitious you've got to be ambitious I'm not sure how that would work I mean 20, 20
1: years time someone will be doing a podcast saying football cliches era Premier League 11. At
4: least let Manscaped have a go first. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Fine, okay. <laughs> um, but Nick, out of all those tiny variants, which is your favourite? Which is the purest for you? Do you want me to read them out again?
2: It just, bar- I, mean, I don't know. they have been infected by the kind of the, the, the Twitter bar- you know, pure Barclays. Yeah, of course. Thing. It's just that it, it will always just be Barclays. I, I completely forgot about Barclay card. Mm. for example.
4: FA Carling Premiership
1: has yeah. a real poise about it. Is, it it yeah. is so James Alexander Gordon that. that, that <laughs> yeah. That's the one for me. I think that's the one where I remember like watching results on a Saturday afternoon come through when I was first watching football. For me, that's yeah. the one.
4: Yeah. It, there was a real sort of grand sound to it. Eight years as well, Nick. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a fly-by-night thing. People do forget about these things. Where, is,
2: where, does, where does the time go? It, it, I don't know when Dale... Um, Tweeted that, but uh, I know for a fact that Dale has been at Glastonbury this weekend, so it would be the most Dale Johnson thing of all time for him to have <laughs> tweeted that whilst at Glastonbury. I uh,
4: can confirm it was eight days ago, so uh, okay, uh, he's fine. in the clear. Yeah. Um, yeah, good for him. Right, next up, um, not really much of a big sell for this, really. This is former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd on Newsnight last week, talking about the merits of the Commonwealth.
1: Kevin, let's start off with this uh, Commonwealth uh, summit I mean, is it worth it for an Australian PM? What makes it worth it to, to keep going to these events when there must be a lot of other demands o- on a head of government's time? Well, I think that's true. And uh, for my sins, I was once chair
2: of the Commonwealth. So I don't buy what Boris just had to say.
4: Never, never fails to uh, delight me the look on my guests' faces when the words for my sins are uttered in any context innocuously by someone on TV. Nick, um, a solid usage, I'd say, probably not up there uh, amongst the very best, but I think, yeah, as a bread-and-butter usage, pretty happy.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, are we going to dig into how For My Sinzy the Commonwealth is? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose it it qualifies. Historically, you know, lots of success, not quite so good recently, so I suppose it will depend on, on when he was... Involved with this uh, in, in this position.
4: You could take a historical approach to it, James, or you could just um, infer from his words there that it's just a pain in the ass as a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of I mean, travelling.
1: Th- that was certainly my reading of it. Although I didn't really like him prefacing what he was saying with "Before my sins," rather than mm. using it afterwards. It kind of I have to like, say I'm more of a caveat. after
4: the after the event kind of guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, nice and clear on that one. This is from Jacob. He says, hi Adam, heard from the British Touring Car Championships on ITV4 this weekend, referring to a driver. The commentator said, he's been banging in the podiums. <laughs> surely not acceptable use of the term banging in, James. I mean, w- whether he did it in training or not. Um, that sounds incredibly, sounds incredibly dangerous. <laughs> yes. That's the last thing you want to be doing, surely. Mm. Regardless of whether or not you come first. Kind of, it does heavily imply, Nick, that the, the driver in question has an element of consistency about them. But um not happy with this... This usage a little bit too loose for me.
2: What what, what would be the, the the kind of correct term for a podiums? wrap right? rack up, up podiums, the podiums yeah, wrapping up think. podiums. I think, yeah. yeah. No, banging in. That's obviously not allowed. No.
4: Mm, I mean, of course, we are familiar, James, with the constant sporting problem of of certain nouns. I mean, of course, um, I do worry that podiuming could become a thing in British well, yeah. Touring Car Championship, much as meddling has become a thing in the Olympics. Um I kind of don't mind that it's 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 it feels natural to for these things to move into those realms. But
1: surely he's flipped it again, hasn't he? He's 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 not he's made it a verb and then turned it back into a noun, surely, isn't he? He's uh, racking up the podiums. It's not he's his banging he's, in the banging sorry,
4: banging in, in the podium, sorry. The podium. sorry. He's it's not, not been, a verb at any stage, not, no, it,
1: exactly yeah.
4: Yeah. But it looks like it could become one. Podiuming Why not?
1: That's still worse, sorry. I'm I'm not into that.
4: that. Fine, fine. You've got to draw the line somewhere. Um,
2: Are we we going to get this in in football as well? You you can have people finaling or semi-finaling. Do you think there's a danger of this coming in? You're quite right to look look aghast at that, but I can see it coming in.
4: Man of the matching.
2: Yeah. Mm.
4: Yeah, things always turn out to be a verb in the end. Um, Nick, I wonder where you draw the line with this one. Uh, Marseille and Real Betis playing a pre-season friendly against each other at the Technique Stadium Chesterfield. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly the sort of
2: laugh that it should elicit. Why? Uh, Do do we know why? Uh, Are they uh, the pre-season training camp? in? I think it's
4: a mundane crossing of paths in in Middle England. Yeah, something like that. Um, Yeah, Real Betis and Olympique de Marseille, James, will face each other in a pre-season friendly at the Technique Stadium on Wednesday, July the 27th. some local excitement about this, as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh, yeah, of course. The Derbyshire Times did a little um, a gallery article about the sort of players you might be able to see if you go down there. The Olympic Marseille and Real Betis stars who are set to light up Chesterfield's Technique Stadium. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> One, you can't light up any stadium in a pre season friendly. <laughs> Two, I'm 40% sure, because I haven't actually looked, that this is going to be an afternoon affair. So. Can you light up a stadium in the afternoon? Not in August, July. Can you actually light up anywhere in one game? I'm not sure about this one. (laughs) It's more of a sort of medium term thing, lighting up, isn't it? He failed to light Mm. up the Emirates Stadium. Maybe you can do it in 90 minutes. I think so. Yeah, yeah,
2: you can. I think you can. It will require a slightly higher calibre event than you know preseason friendly between Marseille and Real Betis. Also, the the Marseille Real Betis, you're big European names we all kind of know and have heard of but mm. who, who was on this uh, stars that were going to are going to light up the, the game gallery was it well, basically that? Hector Bellerin and Dimitri Payet
4: well as with most galleries I didn't go past the first one and I've already forgotten who the goalkeeper was for uh, Real Betis so um, uh, but it, but it is a curious situation Nick I, I do wonder if Chesterfield are going to sort of turn up in their bus and say fancy a triangular <laughs> let's do it <laughs> it'll be one for the ages."
1: I wonder plays on. Given some of the uh, places that have hosted or, or, or have hosted the Conference League and are going to host the Conference League in the next couple of years, it's not impossible that Chesterfield could host a Conference <laughs> League final. And this is the kind of game it will probably be. So it's quite a good warm-up for
4: that. The Technique Stadium sounds like it should host a showpiece event. Absolutely right. Well, um, I don't know who pulled those strings, but well done to you. Um, Andy Mortimer has pointed me in the direction, Nick, of a tweet from Partick Thistle towards the end of the first half of their friendly against Alloa. 1-0 up, and they make an octuple substitution. <sighs> Andy Mortimer asks, Nick, surely you stop using this format for counting subs after three, four at the most. Octuple? Very adventurous.
2: Yeah, you'd maybe go, uh, I don't know. Well, obviously it's not really a problem that um, you you get a huge amount outside of international friendlies, but... Uh, yeah, you wouldn't say quartet, would you? A quartet of substitutes? No. Quadruple
4: sub. I think you would. It's a raft of changes, isn't it? I I think it is a raft. Oh, eight is eight is possibly beyond the threshold for a raft. I'd say, but I think it's just showing off, isn't it, James?
1: Is that fair? I think so. Yeah, it seems To me, I mean, there was wasn't there a woman in America who had eight children and she was called Octo Mom, Octo Mom probably. Octo. So (laughs) people do obviously try and do this, but it does. Yeah, I think that does cross the threshold of. um, What comes after octuple? Nin, nin, non Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. what's after
4: octuple <laughs> non-oople not a word non-oople. doesn't sound
3: i can't have that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu.
4: Alistair Campbell, not that one, writes in James and says, um, What would be an acceptable level of football banter with Prince William? This is on the back of um, Emma Hayes receiving a OBE at the Palace. Um, here's what she had to say about her brief encounter. Did you have
1: a chance to, to grab a quick word with the Duke?
4: Yeah, of course. I mean, I didn't tease him too hard about Aston Villa because, uh, you know, he, of course, wanted to talk about the women's Euros and the women's FA Cup, uh, the season just gone. And his, his knowledge of the women's game is impeccable. And Nick, if you did have a few seconds with Prince William, what would be your opening gambit to tease him about Aston Villa? I don't know, what. where are you starting here? Uh, I don't know. It's some
2: some kind of gentle ribbing about oh you have sta- for- still made a brick. <laughs> <I don't
4: laughs> <know.
2: Yeah. laughs> just gentle ribbing about the amount of money they pay for Filippo Cucino C- <laughs> and what, does he really fit in the team? Yeah, it's quite good. it's quite um quite quite granular for a ceremony yeah. like that,
4: isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're they're a tricky club to pin down, James. I, I don't know what your sort of low level ribbing would be to a Villa fan.
1: Yeah, is that, uh, is that almost why he's gone for it? It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of high profile enough to be able to kind of. And I'm not yeah. suggesting he's not a real fan, of course. Mm. Uh, quite I'm sure, really. I'm, sure, I'm, really. I'm sure he listens to this. But they old, aren't they? They're kind of old fashioned. They play in a big old fashioned ground. It all kind of feels like, you know, it feels it feels right, doesn't it? But they're big enough to kind of get away with being able to blag it a bit, but not sort of offensive enough to annoy anyone outside Birmingham. So
4: that's probably fine, isn't it? Yeah, agreed. Um, Benjamin Wiley writes in and says new Swansea signing Nick Matty Sorinola was reported in the press as Matthew his Twitter handle is Matt and he introduced himself in his in- unveiling video as Matty the trifecta is complete I think that's one of the most balanced situations we've had in recent times decide you must decide.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, surely we need some kind of consistency. It just it makes a mockery of the you know commentators going to great lengths to get make ensure they get the pronunciation of uh, tricky surnames. Well, that but if people, yeah, yeah, if people are messing around with their first names as well, then uh, what 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 are we to do?
4: I mean, it also shows a flagrant lack of respect, James, for what constitutes a Matty and how you how you achieve or lose. That moniker at the same time. Um similarly, Arsenal confirming the seven point five million pound signing of USMNT goalkeeper Matt Turner. Um Venger Brawl asks, can an American goalkeeper A have hair and B be a Matty? James, it's worrying times for the Matties of this world. I'm not Matty Turner doesn't sound because of the T in Turner,
1: it doesn't work. I think you need just to go Matt Turner and just roll it into one.
4: Yeah, I don't want I, I don't I think I, don't I want think... my goalkeeper to be called Matty. It implies a level of carefree exuberance that I just don't need from my safe hands goalkeeper.
2: Do, do we need some kind of, like, everyone, when when they first sign or play for a Premier League club, they are Matt, and then there is some kind of panel convenes to confer Matty, or if, if they apply for it, Matthew status as yes. well? Yes.
4: Yeah, I think Matt should be the neutral, and then it should go either way depending on what you want people to think of you as. Really, um, I, I mean, it could be position specific, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, I think a Matthew is fine for a goalkeeper. Nick, that could work.
2: Yeah, but uh, I think yeah, Matthew or Matt is fine for a goalkeeper, and you can change if you want. If you decide, <laughs> you know, you've initially you've gone for
4: yeah,
2: it is. But you know, this this. We're not, we're not, don't be too hardline about this. You can do the Andy Andrew Cole thing if you yeah. really want to.
4: Yeah, yeah, no one's really sure what happened there, but um, but yeah, always be Andy to me, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> Elliot King writes in James says, Have seen Arsenal signing of Gabriel Jesus widely described as a coup. Made me question the threshold for a coup and if this, in fact, is one at all. He's a quality signing, no doubt, but there's context to the deal. The player wanted guaranteed first-team football. He knows Mikel Arteta. There wasn't that much of a battle for his signature. And that all prevents it being a coup, IMO. Thoughts? Yeah, I...
1: It's up there. I, I think I, I think that's a pretty good outline, I mean, to be honest. The mm. fact that he was kind of in and out of the team at City, and he's only dropping down to, yeah. you know, another one of the big six clubs. It's not like he's gone to... Uh, you know, who, who should I fancy? It's not like he's gone to Fulham or someone. Mm, he, yeah. he's, he's gone to a big club. He's still be playing in Europe next season. You know, we're playing another big international. So it's not. It, it, I don't think it's like you know Arsenal are a big club. I don't, I, I don't think any who could Arsenal sign and it would represent a coup. It's a difficult one. And it, maybe it, like sort of Lewandowski or someone. But I don't. I, I have to be like a properly, properly elite player for Arsenal. Mm. I think. And you know they've paid was it forty five million pounds? Yeah, yeah, which is like
4: not the biggest for you in modern football but it's not insignificant either no absolutely right I mean Nick traditionally when working out whether a transfer is a coup or not you have these two shifting variables the size of the club and the size of the player um, but I do wonder if this is this is a Champions League football the lure of Champions League football and indeed the um, having to weigh up not having Champions League football at your new club has become the decisive factor here is, is, th- is that what's made it a coup really <laughs> I don't know I think
2: it's I think it should be much kind of woolier than that I think it just if you go oh yeah that makes sense then that's not a coup That's definitely not a coup and I think Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal you go oh yeah that makes sense
1: I think Adam predicted it two months ago didn't he so yes. the very yeah. fact that Adam kind of saw that
4: transfer coming to me suggests it's not a coup because you could see it coming I think you're damn right. I think there does have to be an element of surprise about coup as well as the kind of disparate um, appeal of club and player. But um, it leads you to the inevitable question from Elliot King, Nick. What is the coupiest signing of all time? What's the first transfer in your head that jumps out as the ultimate
1: coup? Uh,
2: Go back to sort of big foreign players arriving in the mid-90s. So, you know, your Klinsmans, your Juninos, that kind of thing. Yeah, for me. I would yeah. say he's I think
1: Ravenel- too- Ravenelli is the one for me I'd yeah. say he's got a slightly more he just played in the European Cup and then he's gone to Middlesbrough
4: mm. he's sc- scored yeah. in
1: the European Cup run,
4: didn't yeah it? like weeks yeah, yeah. before yeah. yeah yeah I'm down with that Canidja to Dundee Nick that seems quite cooey isn't it there was uh, a lot going on there over there, but uh, yeah. I, I, I
2: suppose it will be initially described as a coup, and then when you think about it, you go, "Hmm, sangam, there's something weird going on here." Mm. So maybe it removes the coup status. But. Maybe
4: we can't. You can't go. You can't go too ridiculous with it, James. Let's say I don't know. Sold Campbell to Notts County. That that wasn't a coup. That was just weird. That was weird, wasn't it? I mean, I guess it's hard with one like that where you know how badly it worked out.
1: Mm. Like retrospectively, you can't really see that as a coup because it was a bit of a nightmare for all mm. involved. Oh, I-
4: interesting that you, you factor in how successful the player was at the club for it to be a coup I think it's but more of an in the th- moment situation but it's an unavoidable thing looking back at it isn't it if you look back at that transfer now, still a you coup can't like still could of- have been a coup doesn't matter could have got sent off in his debut and never played again I mean that was
1: more or less what happened wasn't it
4: <laughs> <laughs> really really like this one um, uh, couldn't wait to show it to people um, this is from Fraser Wiley who was watching for some reason Fulham's review of their season on YouTube and he spotted a very unnecessary and very Premier League years segue. In the end, the calling card of Storm Eunice was its devastating wins. Wait for it, you'll never guess. speeds of up to
1: 122
4: miles per hour. Much of Britain felt the force of Eunice's temper.
1: As Storm Eunice ripped across the country, leaving a trail
4: of destruction in its wake, the nation picked up the pieces. We would also be required to pick up the pieces after our next match. Huddersfield Town, unbeaten in 12 when they arrived in London, produced a smash-and-grab performance to secure the three points. It is... Oh, my God. James, it is such a ridiculous, convoluted connection to make that I do worry that it's actually a bit of a piss take and and we're being hoodwinked here. How do you feel?
1: I mean, I, I...
4: it has to be a bit of a wind-up, doesn't it? it? There's no
1: way you could possibly write and record that with a straight face. It's absolutely ludicrous.
4: There were, there were so many... What leads me to think it might be a bit silly, Nick, is that there were so many better candidates during that news report for them to go back into Fulham's form or Fulham's stuttering form. Who knows what was going on? But uh, I thought maybe the full force of of Storm Eunice, etc. But no, they chose the weirdest... Degree of separation to go with. Um, I'm very skeptical about this, but I'm going to enjoy it nonetheless.
2: I mean, it's obviously not the, the headline of this, but the music being used is was very, very strange as well. There's kind of suitably ominous. Of, yeah, but but sort of yeah, slightly ominous sub work library music mm-hmm. being yes. used to to symbolise the I don't know impending doom of a storm slash the visit of Huddersfield.
4: <laughs> it was very Channel Four schools, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Huddersfield blowing into town. There was also too much of a
2: a, a gap. You p- people won't be able to see the, the the visuals there, but there was there was the shots of uh, trees being blown down and scaffolding falling over, and then it cut to about sort of ten seconds of like pleasant shots of kids arriving at the game, <laughs> which didn't really it didn't really mesh very well either. No,
4: I sent some you know amateur Premier League years viewage here, James. They haven't put in the hours like Charlie Eccleshare. they they really haven't I mean I guess
1: actually that ground though must be it's quite windy isn't it Craven Cottage it's right on the river so I I mean yeah I could see it being quite a big uh, influence on the club
4: Nick Brian Cassidy writes in says good morning Britain doing a story on Wimbledon this morning referring to it as the hallowed turf surely this would be the hallowed lawn and how does a piece of ground achieve hallowed status what is the criteria are you happy with Wimbledon being hallowed I think it's okay
2: yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think Hallowed has to be—I mean, old. You can't mm. have what, what's the what's the the year's threshold on Hallowed? I don't know. You could, I don't think you can describe any of the kind of minimum new-ish. of a hundred. Minimum of a hundred. Wow, that's uh, yeah.
4: Shit, when did Wimbledon start?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that. It's, it's been going for going for longer than that, surely.
4: The, the historic
2: encounters have to have happened on it. Yeah. Um.
4: Big in the eighties. <laughs> Big in the yeah. <laughs> Wimbledon probably qualifies, doesn't it? I mean, you yeah, know, that, that seems about right. If if we do allow Wimbledon, James, and I think we should, to hallowed turf status, this does raise the question: Is it can can only well kept grass be hallowed? Because obviously, you have to treat it with respect. I can't imagine the I don't know. The rough at St Andrews being hallowed turf, that's not even turf, is it? It's just long grass. No, that is a good point.
1: But like the wicket at like Lord's or whatever, presumably, is that, does that count? Presumably that does. Because that's obviously yeah, yeah. very well maintained. Can that be hallowed? Is that hallowed, no, that's Well, yeah, it's incredibly hard. well maintained, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
4: yeah. Oh, Extremely all right. hallowed. Okay, interesting. I'd never thought about the maintenance aspect of hallowedness. Hallowedness. Um, yeah you, could, you wouldn't describe like the baseball ground in the 1970s as hallowed turf, definitely would you not mean? no mud itself cannot be hallowed despite it being quite an important component of the turf Shame. yeah unsung heroes but, <laughs> but there' also there's
2: also kind of very um on a kind sort of more micro level you can have like it, you know for example for me the city ground will be hallowed turf
4: well wow. okay
2: but no, for no one else, that's hallowed turf. It's all, it's, it's all, if there's a personal connection, I think you can describe individual things as sort yeah, of localised hallowed
4: turf. You could make an argument that it's in the eye of the beholder, but no, I think you're slightly deluded there, I have to say. <laughs> um, no no disrespect and no offence. Well, some, but anyway. Um, I hope we can all agree on this one next. Uh, Ada McGeady has signed for Hibs. Um, they they didn't muck about with their unveiling. Nice picture of him signing his contract. But what was he signing with, James? A bic four colours original ballpoint. The one that you can press down the little buttons and you've got one in your hand. There you go. There you go. What are the odds of that? It's a great pen. It's a great pen.
1: Functional. <laughs> Incredible.
4: I mean when you've got when you when you're looking around for a pen and you see a bic four colours. Available, you're not turning it down. Are yeah, you? exactly.
1: You're gonna you're gonna get this rather than four separate biros. Hundred percent, and they always break. But yeah, it's who's it's gonna buy like a green biro for on those his two own. Or three
4: months? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nobody, nobody. um Nick, a great choice for a signing pen. I mean, I, I mean, I instantly recoil. That's it. Of course, most people did. But then, the more you think about it, um, the classier the touch is.
2: Yeah, and uh, it also um, reflects the adaptableness of the player as well. He's a, you know, he's a player who can play in a few different positions. Let's give him a very adaptable pan as well.
4: Disappointingly, though, on closer inspection, James, it is set to black. Next up, Denby Dale writes in, Nick, has pointed me in the direction of a Yorkshire Evening Post story about Harrogate town striker Danilo Orsi, who has left to join League Two newcomers Grimsby Town. The 26-year-old joined Harrogate for Maidenhead United last summer, the story says, following a 2020-21 season which saw him score over 20 goals and won the Manager's Player of the Year accolade. <laughs> what is this, under 10s? <laughs> oh, God. The
2: Manager's, Manager's Player of the Year, in my experience, and I speak as someone who actually did get the Manager's Player of the Year once, is someone who isn't very good but tries quite hard.
1: That's, isn't that's, it? that's Clubman, isn't it?
4: I thi- yeah, I think yeah, managers' potato, potato. player of the year is, is 50-50, like it could be your son. but <laughs> Broadly speaking, it goes to a very good player, but I, th- I think James on the right, there, there was this kind of offshoot of that, the clubman of the year or sportsman of the year. Well, at least he didn't get that. I mean, for 20 goals as well, you'd, you would expect some respect, but managers' player of the year existing in the top six echelons of the English football, Nick, I, it worries me.
2: I mean, presumably, presumably that's the reason he'd left is because he was got the manager's player of the year. All the other players bullied him because he was a a dweeb and the 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 manager's pet, so he had to leave.
4: Yeah, I, that's the only I, explanation. I
1: know that's you're it. one for research, Adam. Have you checked that he won the fans' player and the players' player as well? He
4: what he did win the supporters' player of the year okay. too. Um, that uh, that implies that in its absence, he didn't win players' player, which really does stack up, doesn't it? Um, so all the mums and dads voted for him his own dad voted for him but none of his colleagues did
2: <laughs> simple surely, surely it also completely blows out of the water the, one of the, the endearing cliches where you, where an, an interview will say to the manager post-match oh player X." was excellent today, wasn't he? And the manager will say, well, I don't like to single out any, anybody as a team effort, all that kind of thing. And But if, if, you're, if your manager, is there's literally an award mm. saying, yes, he is my favourite, then what's that going to do to the squad morale?
4: I know. I mean, I don't know. Harrogate Forward Thinking Club, maybe they have thought this through. But um, all I can hope, James, that he didn't get the standard 1970s slash 80s footballer on a little plinth I think for this, you just get one of those things that flip open, and it's a little medal without a strap. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, um, great stuff. But yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not dead against it. I just think it's it's a worrying trend. That's all I'm going to say. Um, this is from Ignanta Soccer one who I suspect is a newcomer to the Football Cliches podcast. Um, simple question from them, though, Nick. The phrase "the wall did its job." They ask, "Is there not any other way to say this?" It's true. There's no other no. way. I don't think no. I've ever heard any other way.
2: Stood firm, the wall stood firm. If it's a particularly like vicious shot, I
4: don't know. I suppose James commentators could opt for the flipping the focus to the ball and saying, you know, the ball the the effort was slammed into the wall. But as as for wall-focused references, I'm pretty sure that's the only way it's ever said. Which is yeah, a strange well, like, one. If the ball goes under the wall and hits the guy laying on the floor. Yeah.
1: There's no way the commentator would say that then. Oh yeah, and that, is, that that would be the wall doing its job. You it would there's be. No way the commentator would say it. Um, the, the draft excluder doing its job.
2: Is it ever flipped the other way? Where they, they, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? If there's a big hole in the wall and the, the commentator would say, "Well, the wall's not done its job." There, the wall's
4: not done its job.
2: Or didn't ju- the, the players didn't jump when they were supposed to, or something mm.
4: like that? Oh yeah, that that's actually. We I don't think we have ever discussed this, James. As one of the big crimes of the proper football man, which is not. Which is turning your back if you're in the wall at a free kick? That is that's very much for the unheralded crimes of proper football men.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is, yeah. And if you go back through my tweets for mentions of Paulinho and Adebayor, you'll see me ah, lo- lose my shit when Spurs lost a game at West Ham in
4: 2014. Your PFM credentials sealed forever. Very right, much so. excellent. Right, next up, Radio Ed 1985 writes in Nick and says, in a retrospective context, how long would someone have to have played for a club or in a particular country or league? Before they can be described as having plied their trade, there. Never thought about this threshold before. I'm going to say it needs to be something of a spell, doesn't it? So I'm th- three seasons. Uh, I
2: don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there, there needs to be because plied their the trade to me means you're writing or you, you're, you're describing a period of a player's career that you don't really know anything about. <laughs> so <laughs> good. So you you know if it's like I don't know, one of those kind of rash of uh, play English players who played in Turkey mm. in the sort of uh, early mid nineties. You say yeah. oh you know Dean solders plied his trade in uh, with Galatasaray for you know twenty games or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I, about.
1: I, that. I think even less than that. If you look at guys in like the sort of seventies and early eighties who went to the States and played like seven games for the Washington Diplomats or whoever, and you'd be happy with I, plied I, I think, their trade, would you? Oh I, I, yeah, for the same reason. I think that would be used. Yeah.
4: I, I, it implies a modicum of, of settled achievement to me, but... Mm, not not to me. No, uh, I think... Fine. This means
1: they played there. No. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. they okay, well, you know what you're doing here. Just play do. along.
4: Play the game, will you? <laughs> Fucking hell. Just means they played there. Brilliant. <laughs> Jesus. Not everything has to have a threshold. That's fine. <laughs> um, Eddie Baker writes in, says, following the marksman military football chat recently, James, I heard the phrase pot shot in an Irish War of Independence documentary. <laughs> can we nail down exactly what it is in a football context? Um, May I apply a threshold here? Uh, yes, you can, yes. So, minimum of 30 yards, definitely.
1: Yeah, I would say probably minimum. Yeah, that probably is about right, actually, yeah. It's At very
4: least. speculative, isn't it? And you yeah. can't have a pot shot from the edge of the box, I don't think, because the XG would be high enough. Yeah, I think one, once you're kind of around the edge of the box, there's like
1: an expectation, uh, maybe an unreasonable one, but still an expectation that a player will hit the target, whoever it is.
4: Very good point. Nick, for example, you couldn't urge someone to have a pot shot. There is no urging with a pot shot. The, the player takes it upon themselves rather unexpectedly to shoot in those circumstances.
2: Mm, yeah, I think so. And I, I think it also has to be on an occasion or, or, or a time when the, the, you're not maybe expected to score a goal. So if, you know, a team is you know, under the cosh Mm. and they're they're trying to release pressure or something, then a striker might take a, or so anyone would would take a speculative pot shot uh, in in a desperate attempt to score a goal when they don't have uh, any other kind of realistic prospects of scoring a goal. Uh,
4: Interesting. I'm pretty sure all three of us now have used the phrase pot shot in its um, traditionally derisive way. I think, James, we often refer to it as, as a team having being reduced to pot shots. And that was the extent of their attacking threat. So pot shots is quite a sort of backhanded thing, I think, too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, to me, it
1: suggests you're having a, a bit of a punt, possibly literally, mm. uh, w- when there's no other option. So your team has got the ball, they're under pressure, you're desperately looking for a goal. That There's no better option than for you just to whack the ball vaguely in the direction of the net. Yeah. From, like you say, over 30 yards, probably. I reckon maybe even slightly further than that.
4: Hmm. Uh, I have to say it's got to the point now, Nick, where I'm actually more interested to know what the um, use of it was in the context of the Irish War of Independence. (laughs) Um, What's a pot shot in its original context? Uh, Maybe just shooting at uh, where you think the enemy are rather
2: than picking out someone, an individual that you're actually aiming at. I don't know. uh,
4: Google says a shot aimed at a personal thing that happens to be within easy reach. Oh, wow. Football's got it wrong.
2: It's more opportunity-based than...
4: Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. R-
1: Robbie Fowler, King of the Pot Shots.
2: Yeah.
4: Easy easy pickings. That's what Pot Shots should mean. Wow. Right. Another thing football could learn from warfare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many things. Um, let's give Pot Shot its marching orders from now on. Uh, love this question next from uh, Tissaroo James, who asks, what are some iconic pieces of punditry slash commentary of which footage no longer exists? <laughs> Now, there's always a danger here that we could get into apocryphal territory, things that were never uttered and things that have sort of taken on a life of its own. There is a potential for that. But the first one I would give you, and boy, have I searched for this for a long, long time. It's Barry Davis saying the Italians are out because they will not learn. That's the ultimate, I think. And hey, so when was this? 2002 World Cup. I, I have no memory of that. It's Barry Davis doing a World Cup in 2002. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm convinced, Nick, that he said that live, and now it just no longer exists in highlights packages or anything, and he's redubbed it or they've just edited. it. Um, it's, it's a why? Why would you?
2: Well, in in a, in a rare piece of advanced research for this podcast, I did I did see the that tweet, so I looked for it on YouTube, and I found the game yep. being commentated in my head. He said that when the golden goal was scored, when at the moment that they went out. And I I found the game, uh, Barry Davis commentating as live with a a very, um, very bored sounding Joe Royal as his co-commentator. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Pre-Laro sort of situation, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, very much so. And I watched the, the closing thing and he didn't say it. He didn't yeah. say it at that at that moment. Anyway, he it, it's
4: possible that he might have said it at some other point in the game. Maybe it was sort of later after the final whistle, after the highlights stop. That must be the only explanation. I can't believe yeah. it's been redubbed. There's no way but, that would have happened.
2: But 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 in my head, it was it was a, a, a not quite petulant, but the the sort of exasperated schoolmaster kind mm. of thing mm. it, at, at the very moment of of defeat. Right, oh, they will not learn. Yeah, but yeah again I, I think I wrote something about this a, a few years ago and I had, tried to find it then and couldn't find it James Moore's wagging his finger
1: uh, so I've just been onto Adam's favourite website the was it called internet commentator database yep and the game was on ITV not on the BBC you know that right
4: uh, that's okay because but they were hi- it was on
1: match of day there were highlights yeah, so that yeah. would have been done but it wouldn't have been like the full match so you're very limited into what you possibly could have heard mm. so you need to find the match of day highlights of that game
4: Yes, yeah, true you don't I need the can't... whole game I, I'm it is entirely possible I'm misremembering it, and so many people are misremembering it. Um, at least in terms of when it was said, but I'm it sure possible,
1: it was. Is it possible Peter Drury said it on the ITV commentary?
4: No, no. There's, I mean, misremembering just wouldn't work that way. I'm not convinced. I know it's it's very Barry Daviesy thing to have said been said, but I'm I'm still very much sure it was him. I can um, I can hear it. I can hear it from Peter Drury in my head now. Speaking of Drury. Speaking of jury, James Hobbs writes in and says, "Whether it exists or not, I don't know." But Peter Drury's, "Do they do ordinary?" Ria Perez goal in the Arsenal Invincible season has been one that's hard to find. That sounds plausible to me, James.
1: Yeah, that that definitely. Again, I can hear that yep. in my in my head, and mm. it's very much the kind of level of excitement that the Arsenal team was generating among among commentators. So, I can well imagine that being. What do you know which goal it was?
4: No idea. I it would could it, I am I'm, I'm in my head I'm assuming it's the one where he skipped along the back of the net at Tottenham. Is that the invincible season? Uh, the one the no, won the league. No 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 that was no that was a well, season. Kind of in then then. <laughs> uh, no idea.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats
4: to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're talking about individual lines that might have been lost to the ether, Nick, but this is a fascinating one from Simon Tyers, who knows his stuff about this sort of thing he says ITV lost their footage of the 1970 Cup final replay the most watched live club match ever so when they wanted to show highlights in an overnight slot sometime in the mid-1990s Brian Moore had to re-record his commentary for the whole game (laughs) (laughs) oh how annoying well I think that's quite
2: I don't know how common it is but like if you going back to Barry Davis the goal that Dennis Bergkamp scored Mm. in the 98 World Cup there is a there's a, a a version of that that I've seen where Barry Davis has very obviously re-recorded exactly his the, the lines that he said and the intonation as well. I think so, it so, was on the
4: VHS, wasn't it? Was that it, on the VHS? It's for the video, yeah, I think the so. best goals of France 98, isn't it? And they just weren't allowed to use the BBC commentary. I mean, Martin Tyler has done this so often for Arsenal end-of-season DVDs. It is a fascinating phenomenon, but I don't, there must be money in that racket, James, of just saying, well, do you know what? We haven't got the rights for you saying it the first time. Would you mind doing it again?
1: I'm <laughs> um, Presumably, he can't have done the full commentary a- as was because they lost it. So, presumably, he's just had to watch the game and just like... But all his little asides and stuff, like surely, like if, you're, if you're moving like 20 years into the future, yeah. you must chuck so much stuff in that's kind of, you know, about, m- not about current affairs, but do you know what I mean? About the state of football in that moment. Yeah. How do you riff all that stuff 20 years later? Um, imagine if producer like, oh, just lost our that, entire recording
4: it? here and we had to do all this all over again. Can you imagine? <laughs> we are nowhere near as good. But no, he can, he
1: you know, know, like the back pass rule is a fairly substantial change to football in yeah. that time, and yeah. like obviously that's just completely different. he couldn't reference it, not that you often reference it. Yeah. Um, Maybe
2: he could, he could have he could have thrown in things like uh, there is player X. Of course, he would go on to rupture his cruciate ligaments in four years' time. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
4: Oh, in 40 seconds. <laughs> yeah.
2: Chelsea yeah. here,
4: pushing for the winner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, hang on, here's, here's the goal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just really phoning it in, that would be great. Um, next up, uh, Chris says, this is very vague, James, but in, I think, the 2014 World Cup, there was a slow-motion replay of a silky nutmeg and Mark Lawrenson remarked, milk and two sugars, please. I don't know why, but I've been dying to see it back ever since. I mean classic Loro really because it doesn't actually work as a joke I mean there's no connection between the two things and yet in the, in a weird way works absolutely perfectly as a, just an aside so yeah fine I, I like that a lot yeah I really right. do like that yeah that's good wish I'd confronted Loro with this a couple of weeks ago Nick um, but it does sound very Loro doesn't it completely um, fasc- <laughs> absolutely fascinated by this one I don't know why I don't remember it happening but um, Tom Victor writes in James says seconds before the uh, France versus Honduras goal line technology drama in 2014, um, Martin Keown said, Grietzman got up well for a young man. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. It's just, that's just weird, isn't it? So, in many ways, he's Martin Keown, so cause we should always you know, expect it I, from him.
1: I mean, interestingly, the, the, you mentioned that game, because that, uh, so I was in Brazil for that game, well, not sure. for that game, but during that game, uh, and I've never heard that full rant because, from, from how I understand it, it wasn't just in the moment; it was like kind of ten minutes after the yeah. incident that he kept talking about. It, and I've never heard the full, the full thing in all
4: its majesty. Oh yeah, the Jonathan Pierce VAR thing um, was—I I, perhaps Nick the kind of genesis of of late era Jonathan Pierce. I think um, really sort of um, moving away from the—it it was him undocking himself. From the <laughs> International Space Station of his early career, and moving away <laughs> into outer that, space.
2: That that moment as well produced a, a classic uh, slice of Kesey as well on on Twitter. Who was he, he on a, a similar kind of thing to Jonathan Pierce? He was just kind of it, I think it was this one where he was just going oh we've we've seen the replays and it's not a goal it's mm. not a. I can't believe it's not a goal and then about then about 10-15 minutes later we've said, he tweeted something like we've seen another ankle and yes it <laughs> well.
4: it's just classic easy just using yeah. some information that he's just received about something we can already see yeah it's, his ability to do that really does perplex the mind Um love this one from Purple Reyes James when Mick McCarthy refused to attempt a Ukrainian left-back's name and referred to him only as left-back <laughs> <laughs> Oh Without even the, not even the left-back, which I think would be kind of, it has an old school English commentator co-commentator feel about it, but just simply left-back, as if he's watching like a kid's game.
1: <laughs> that left is back. amazing. There's another really good McCarthy one in, I think the 2010 World Cup, where uh, Argentina, I can't remember which Argentina game it was, but one Sebastian Varon came on, and at which point he must have been like kind of 34, 35, and he says, is that the Varon? And I've never, I've never heard it. about it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in commentary on a football match. I've never heard you it. You don't again. want to
4: hear a co-commentator saying stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> I'm all for, I'm all for, you know, blissful ignorance. The notes that, on his desk are <laughs> like a thick layer of dust across the top. Fever on, fever on. Yeah, Jesus. Um, Brian's gun, Nick. Um, someone who, um, if they can't find it on YouTube, then no one can. Um, says I haven't been able to find the footage of Jimmy Hill on Match of the Day reminding viewers to put their cocks back. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of, sort of remember this, so there's a 10% chance it exists. But, I mean, it's, you know, you can imagine it happening. It's an easy slip of the tongue. It's a Saturday night. I mean, look. Mm. <laughs> Pathetic. Purile nonsense. But um, it leads me on to... Something I'm surprised we haven't really examined in great depth on this podcast, James. Um, Joe Byrne writes in and says, Andy Gray's, can he do it on a cold night in Stoke? Or whatever he actually said. It has huge cultural significance, but I don't think I've ever seen or heard him say it. Um, My first question is, before we get stuck into all of this, when do you think Andy Gray said that?
1: Give me a year. That's interesting, because
4: I I, I don't... In my mind,
1: that wasn't an Andy Gray thing. I thought it was a a more... It Just definitely kind of existed before him, thing. but okay. he
4: turned Stoke into the reference. Uh,
1: I'm sure it was said about... Uh, 2011, I'm sure it was said about Messi. It was probably around the time he uh, left
4: the Sky. Close. It was December 2010 that he said it. Um, so that's, that's our benchmark. That's when a variable pieces of unpleasant weather night in Stoke on a certain Tuesday or Wednesday, perhaps even a Monday sometimes, Nick, became its mainstream thing now we know of course it was a reference before I always always thought it was Rochdale that was used as the um, archetype for this long before Stoke became the reference but I I went into Google to see how far back the Stoke thing went and um, a cold rainy night in Stoke actually predates Andy Gray's uttering of it the earliest reference I found was from January 2009 in a retrospective article on a blog about Peter Hoikstra's three (laughs) seasons at Stoke um, where he plied his trade and uh, one of the subheadings says, could he do it on a cold, rainy night in Stoke? And uh, it says, yes, Hoikstra was very popular at Stoke, a stylist amongst the loggers of the first division. Unfortunately, a promotion with that club wasn't always not quite possible. Hoystra earned two nicknames there, the Wing Wizard and One Man Showboat. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, yeah, sounds like he could do it. So, so it, it does, I mean, the Stoke as a kind of place for this thing, Nick, does predate Andy Gray. So we're getting somewhere with this.
1: Mm.
2: mm. Windy is... it's Wet and windy is Yeah, the, what's the hierarchy? I think
4: it's got to be raining, but I feel like it's got to be cold, and I'd say windy comes third. It's an op- optional extra.
2: The alliteration yeah. of wet and windy is good, though. I don't know whether I'm just associating windy, because there's some kind of... At whatever the Stokes Stadium is called these days, there is this kind of weird microclimate where it is incredibly windy It flies all through all the, the gaps time. in the stadium, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether I've just associated windy with... Stoke, and I have I've left out the cold.
1: The wind won't affect Messi, will it? He's got a low centre of gravity, so he'll be
4: fine. Mm, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I think it's got to be it's got to be rainy and cold. Rainy first, although I think actually cold is more annoying. Messi's not going to mind the rain as such. If it was a tropical, he'd be all right, probably. Um, let's dig into the Andy Gray incident a little bit more, James. Did you know? And it was on a Monday night football as well, so it was like during a half-time chat. Um, of Everton's 2-1 win at Manchester City would you believe so completely um, but it was a, it was they were looking at the list of nominees for the Ballon d'Or I wondered if Lionel Messi could be considered one of the world's best if he hadn't tested himself outside of Spain so that was the obvious context for it but of course it came just a few weeks before the unpleasantness at Sky yeah. that was one of the last things he said that's amazing I didn't realise it was so close together
1: I mean, they have been having that argument for the last ten years as well. They've continued mm. having this conversation ever mm. since.
4: Yeah. Um, it, do you think this is what
2: precipitated the whole thing? Some kind of irate messy fan at Sky just watch this and go, "This is the last straw. Let's get, get out. Get, we're gonna get him. That's bring right. out the tape. We, we, we said we wouldn't release it. We are releasing it now.
4: Yeah. Could be. Could be. Let's drop another bombshell then, because, and um, we've talked above about things we may have misremembered from football speak over the years. Well, it turns out. Andy Gray never said a rainy night in Stoke. This is what he said. He suggested that Cristiano Ronaldo would not be the player that he is today had he not played in English football, and questioned how Messi would fare on a cold night at the Britannia Stadium. He didn't say Stoke. Barcelona have never played at the likes of Stoke and Blackburn, he added. <laughs> is this like was this like a product placement thing?
1: Like when people, people wanted to repeat this in the BBC and they couldn't mm-hmm. say the Britannia
4: Stadium, so they I had guess to say so. Stoke. Stoke being used as the um, epicentre of this proper football man phenomenon pre-existed Andy Gray, as we've already established. Um, Jay Jaffa tweeted on September the 13th, 2010, from his BlackBerry, (laughs) loving Dwight York's move into commentary, nice Caribbean swagger to a Monday night in Stoke. So that was the first first football-adjacent mention of a night in Stoke of any kind whatsoever. Everything else before that had been just people having nights in Stoke and tweeting about it. <laughs> you know, actually them there. It was never used in a figurative <laughs> sense. Liverpool 21 um, tweeted on November the 13th, 2010. So still a few weeks before Andy Gray got his claws into it. Is my LFC nightmare going to end? Why would Nando want to stay at LFC to watch hoofball on a freezing night in Stoke? So that's the first ever mention on Twitter of weather conditions in Stoke being a thing that a player couldn't handle. They invented it, not Andy Gray. November the 29th, 2010, Samad Gigil wrote, James, it might be lovely football by Barca, but could they play this way on a freezing night in Stoke? Inter showed they might not. That That's the one I think. That's that's the kind of definitive
1: encapsulation of, mm. of what we're talking about, isn't it? And But mm. that, that Barcelona only seemed very much like like head and shoulders above anyone else. And the, the very team that you would say, and that, that inter-game that has been mentioned there was kind of an underlining of that. The, the, an incredible team, but they wouldn't be able to cope with, you know, Ryan Shawcross and Charlie Adam and whoever.
4: Absolutely. So, so far trying to trace the sort of gestation period, Nick, of this phrase and its various variants. Um, at no stage yet, has anyone specified a certain day of the week for, for it to be unpleasant to play in Stoke? Um... Until the very same day, November 29, 2010, 90Soccer tweeted, Barca are playing it round Madrid at will now, but could they do it on a snowy Tuesday night in Stoke? Snowy Tuesday! That's not even in the top 10 um, combinations, I would say. Snowy Tuesday. Can't have that. It's almost romantic, if anything.
2: I mean, are we going to get into the kind of hierarchies of which day in the week it... it, I I think Tuesday is the... Tuesday's the, the seems like the peak one because there's a sort of implication that if it's Monday, it's yeah. Monday night football, it's yeah. on the T V. It sort of confers and a very, very slight element of, of, of sort of glamour because it's being televised by Sky. Mm. Friday at that point would have been plausible implausible for a, a, yeah. a for a, a football game. Friday's so, are fine too. Yeah, it's either gonna it's either gonna be sort of Tuesday or maybe Thursday. But even Thursday you're not you know, happy with Wednesday. On. why not Wednesday? I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Just t- Tuesday if it feels feels right.
4: Yeah, Tuesdays are a better candidate for this than Wednesdays, I would say. Um, finally, on the very same day again. Astonishingly, three instances of this on the very same day, November 29th, 2010. Nick Taylor tweeted Sure, Barca look pretty, but could they play on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke and defend the lap throw? I think not. He tweeted, What 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 on earth happened that day, November 29, two thousand ten, to, to inspire this deluge of um of evening based Stoke football chatter. I have that, no idea. It but must
1: just have been the height of that Stoke team being one like the definitive like like one end of the footballing spectrum and Barcelona yeah. being the other end, right? Yeah. I think and I think there's the idea that those two like styles would never cross.
4: Astonishing. Um What's more astonishing is that we've waited 171 episodes to do a cold night in Stoke for (laughs) Deep Dive. Um, Someone's going to ask me to write about this now. Um, That was the real long slog to the summit of this episode, but you finally reached the peak. Question for you, Nick. A friend of mine was at a corporate golf day recently. Now, let's safely estimate that the average age of the attendees at a corporate golf day are about 44 years old. Let's say. On that basis, I want you to guess the ex footballer who was the star guest and which musical party piece they performed. You will guess first. I'd, uh, Jimmy Bullard? Uh, I haven't got a musical party piece. What would his musical party piece be? Some sort of swing thing, like the sort of sub Sinatra croon.
2: Maybe, or a kind of. Gareth Ainsworth style attempt at a you know a rock rock song or something. I don't oh, know.
4: okay. So you've gone with Jimmy Bullard and a rock song. James Moore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you so said the average age would be what? Like,
1: so mid forties, did you say? Oh, that's what I'm reckoning. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of thinking like mm, mid nineties. F, F. A. Carling Premiership era. Yeah. Interesting. Say. Okay. Uh, and with that in mind, I'm going to say Dion Dubbin with the Dube
4: playing Dancing in the Moonlight. <laughs> Interesting. Um, both very neat nice suggestions, and I have to say they are both wrong. Um, Nick's was more wrong, but both are indeed wrong. Of course, the answer is John Barnes doing his oh. rap from World in Motion at yet another corporate event. Now, I don't, at this stage, I want to make clear that I do not begrudge John Barnes doing the World in Motion rap at any opportunity. It's entirely up to him, it's his intellectual property after all. But it did make me wonder. Just how many times has John Barnes done his world in motion rap at various events of any kind? Now, I had two options here. Having spent all morning gathering the the material, do I play them back-to-back? No, would take ages. We're quite boring, quite repetitive after a while. Let's play them all at the very same time. (laughs) (laughs) Three, two, (laughs) three, four. Jesus. At what point, Nick, of the lyrics, do you think it really started to unravel? Sort of, um, three lines on my chest, I think, was about the time where it really all started to fall out of sync.
2: Yeah, I don't know whether it's better or worse, but it also, in, in we, again, we could see the visuals there. He's doing the same kind of rolling shoulders dance that he did in the, <laughs> the World in Motion video as well. I don't know whether that's even more bleak. or so. And there was, there was also one that looked a lot like it was a cameo. Yeah, uh, type of thing, just just into into the phone. Yeah, that I could is, have
4: included those if I if I could have yeah. sourced them. That would have that would have opened up to a whole universe of possibilities. But um, James, let's, let's assess this musically. I think he's he's done well. I mean, if uh, roughly it's about fifty percent music in the background helping him along, and fifty percent pure acapella, keeping the tempo quite well over the years. He's ne- he's ne- it's always been in his brain. He knows the exact tempo to do it. He never rushes it, even when he's asked to do it on Sky Sports News, as he did in one of the clips.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that sounded. I, I don't think he lost it too early, like you say. I think it generally, the rhythm was there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that does tend to suggest over the last kind of thirty-two years, he's he's maintained his rhythm. If there's
4: one little wrinkle, um, Nick, in the um, John Barnes World in Motion rap repertoire, it's the fact that I'd say most of the time he's never entirely sure whether to, to launch into the singing afterwards. Sometimes <laughs> he does. And he sort of half-heartedly goes singing for England, and then he sort of lets the crowd take over. But sometimes he just says, "Yep, thank you very much." And uh, oh, it's it's very awkward when he does that. I think I think if I had to pick, I would go with the former approach personally, just to just of the sort of gentle parachuting into back into dignity.
2: Yeah, I think you have to go with the singing for England and then do the call and response thing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah. Absolutely right. yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe if he's doing it on telly, it doesn't work so well. Just to you know. Doing an OB for Sky Sports News, maybe maybe doesn't work quite as well. But um, that was that's what I wanted to play out the episode with. Both happy with that.
1: Yeah, sure. Related. We didn't mention, by the way. I think Jermaine Greer was there in the, in the
4: studio <laughs> on one of those videos. <laughs> Why I will did be she releasing join England? I will be releasing the very unsophisticated montage I made when this podcast is out, and everyone can see the the cultural cornerstones that pop up all through that. There. There's Glastonbury in there. Sky Sports News, Big Brother, um, Jonathan Ross. <laughs> It's all there. It is all there. Thanks to you, Nick, for joining us on the adjudication panel today. Thank you. Thanks to you, James Moore. Always a pleasure. Um, Look forward to your rekindling your strike partnership for episode 213, or there or thereabouts. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with an inter-podcast, Mesut Harlan dix on Thursday. Who could it possibly be? We'll see you then. Bye.
3: The Athletic.